So we're in Luke chapter 4. You know, as I was just thinking about this morning, I know Paul several times in the book of Ephesians, he's writing to a church that he loves, and he's asking that their eyes would be opened, that they'd be able to see and sense and know spiritual things about the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd be able to know the power of God, the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead, and that our hope would be firmly planted in Him. And so... um, I know that sometimes the the Bible can be, we can kind of go from an academic angle or we can go or this or that, but it's that we would know Jesus Christ personally, that we would know him intimately, that we would know his, his very heart, his heartbeat for us. It's not just about getting formulas and knowing what to do and what not to do, but it's about knowing him and so uh, just know that as we go through the scriptures, that's, that's, that's my heart. And so, Lord God, we lift up this time in your word, and we ask that you would please open our eyes to the things of the Spirit. Um, we ask that you would remove, Lord, any um, confusion that we might have in areas. And so we just ask for your blessing upon the teaching of your word now and the hearing of your word. And I pray that we become doers like Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, Luke recalls to us the uh, temptations uh, that Jesus underwent while in the wilderness for 40 days at the hands of Satan. Uh, And we already discussed that Satan tempts us where God tests us, and God tests us where Satan tempts us. The nature of God is, 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 has nothing to do with temptation, but He wants to test and try us so that we would know our faith is true. At the same opportunity, when God seeks to test us, the enemy would use that opportunity to tempt us. Amen? And so we spoke of how um, the individuals that we are composed of are, are kind of like little trinities, so to speak, and that we have bodies and that's just our kind of our mobility part. And we also have our emotions and our, and our intellect. And then we also have our spirit, which connects with God. And so there's these different parts of us, although they're integrated. And Satan, we learn, tends to attack us and tempt us where we are weak in these areas. He seeks to attack us spiritually um, by going towards our flesh or going towards our emotions or our mind and our thinking. And this just is kind of his domain. And he uses the world and the flesh to kind of get that across. And so when I'm tired or I am hungry or lonely or confused or isolated in a wilderness, when I'm in some sort of situation that stresses my, my body, my mind, or my emotions, these are opportune times when Satan would seek to tempt us. Have you ever found out that you make poor decisions when you're hungry? How many of you go grocery shopping when you're hungry? Oh, the temptation is overwhelming. You buy stuff you should not have purchased. You learn that early on. But someone said that, that we're always in one of three states of testing. Testing by God. One of three states of testing You're either at the beginning of a test, in the middle of a test, or you're just finishing a test. 
The same is true with temptation. You're either beginning a temptation, you're in the middle of a temptation, or you just finished being tempted by the Satan. And that's just kind of how our life is in various ways. And so we saw that last week Jesus' first temptation was recorded by Luke here in verses 1 through 4, that Jesus, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, had been fasting, not eating, for 40 days, denying His flesh and all those drives and those desires so that He might be in contact, be in closer fellowship with the Father, so to speak. And under the direction of the Spirit, he had been fasting for 40 days. He was in the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested, and yet Satan meets him there to tempt him. And that is when Satan hit him, when he was hungry, when he was starving, when he was denying himself. And verses 1 through 4 say, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell me this, uh, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, and other ones go on. Other, other uh, like in, in Matthew's account, will say, uh, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, not only by bread alone. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every, every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is obviously, he's hungry. He's uh, willfully denying himself under the direction of the Spirit. And so the temptation that Satan was using in the first temptation was to try and get Jesus to put physical bread above spiritual bread. Physical bread above spiritual bread to put physical needs above the will of God in his life. And if Satan could get Jesus to put his needs above the word of God, the will of God for him, Jesus would ultimately avoid the cross where Jesus would have totally would totally have to lay down his will to the Father. If he can get Jesus on bread, he's going to get him on the cross, get him to not go to the cross. Does that make sense? And so Jesus replies. How does he reply to this? He says, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, and the rest of the verse, as we know, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus put spiritual food, the Word of God, above physical food, His physical desires. The second temptation, which we're headed towards today, is in verses 5 through 8. And next week, we're going to get into actually how Jesus combats it. So we're going to talk more about how do we combat temptation, the Word of God. You'll pick this up as we're kind of going, but I want to give you some practical, like, well, how do you prepare for temptation? How do you, uh, you know, the practical aspects of combating temptation, because you're either going to be beginning to be tempted, or you're in the middle of temptation, or you just ended temptation just to start all over again, right? And so how do we do that? That'll be next week, most likely. But it says in verse 5, 5 through verse 8, the second temptation, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Sounds like a timeshare salesman. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Satan leads Jesus to a high place, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. I don't understand what that means. 
Maybe it's some kind of eternal aspect. I don't understand what that means. But the idea is that Satan was able to show Jesus in a vision all the kingdoms of the world that were inhabited at that time and show him their glory and their splendor at a moment in time. I don't know what that means. He says, all this is mine and I will give it to you if you bow down and worship me. At the core of the devil's mission is that he desires to be like the Most High, like God. That's, that's the core of what motivates Satan. In all he does, he seeks to subvert and divert worship away from God and redirect it towards himself. And if he can't get it towards himself, just getting it away from God is, is good enough, so to speak. And that is what he does 24 hours, seven days a week. That is what he does. In Isaiah 14, God gives us insight into Satan's heart in verses 13 and 14, where he says of the devil, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. This is what Lucifer, the devil, said in his heart. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly and uh, on the utmost heights of Mount Zion, uh, Mount Zaphon. And I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. I'm emphasizing things as I'm reading. So the devil seeks to make himself like the most high. It's important to know that God is called the most high. He's not kind of, he is the most high. That is who he is. There is none higher. And in eternity, in heaven, how many of you uh, kind of, your minds were open to the, the idea that there were three heavens when we went through the, uh, the uh, foundations class? There's the earth, so to speak, that we speak of in the atmosphere. Then there's the second heaven of the, of the, of the universe, the known universe. And these things will pass away, but there's an eternal heaven where God resides in eternity. In that heaven, where God exists right now, where he is, not that he's limited by that. In his dwelling place, there is a mountain and there's a hill of the Lord made of fiery stones, and above that mountain there is a throne where he rules above all. And you can read about that in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10 and Revelation 1 and 4 and all over the place. It's incredible, and it's not your typical King James, oh, look at the throne, it's, all sh- it's magnificent. And he's on fire. He's glowing. And angels, these four angels, living creatures with eyes all over them and four wings and four heads and all these types of things are around him crying out, holy, holy, holy. And lightning and wheels within wheels and all this type of stuff and a rainbow and an aura. I mean, it's just out of control. It's something that we can't describe because we're limited on where we are. And yet God tries to explain to us what it's like. It's like some of you real good math people trying to explain to me about math. You could bring it down to my level, but that's all I'm going to get, right? And so Satan, he seeks to be like God. He seeks to be like God. He takes the Son of God to his own mountain, to a different mountain, a high place, a high mountain, Matthew tells us. 
Matthew identifies it as a mountain. And he shows Jesus all that he rules over, the kingdom of the world. He takes him to his mountain. He takes him to his high place. He says, look at what I rule over. The word here for world is the inhabited world, the earth, the known world. This isn't speaking about the cosmos. This is speaking about the planet and the kingdoms on it. And in these verses, the devil claims that he has power to give Jesus authority over the kingdoms of the earth in their glory. That's a pretty big boast, don't you think? And yet, we don't see Jesus disagreeing with the devil at this point, do we? Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus is a pretty truthful guy. Understatement, he is truth. And my guess is that Jesus would just come back and say, you're full of it and this is what's going on. But he doesn't combat that. In fact, in John 12, 31, Jesus himself identifies the devil as the ruler or prince of this world. Jesus calls him the, the, the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. And so it appears that the devil is the ruler of this world and he does have authority over it. And you wonder why things are the way they are. But the question is, how and when did this happen? How did Satan get authority over the world? When did this happen? In Genesis 1, we read that man was created in the image of God and he was given dominion and authority over the earth. He was given dominion and authority over the earth. And then we read in Genesis 3, the devil tempts them and they forfeit their dominion and authority by their sin. And so the devil says to Jesus in verse 6 of Luke 4, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. And the word given means handed over. It was handed over to me. It's mine. And I believe it is. And he's, he's saying in verse 7, Worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms. They'll be yours. You know, as you become familiar with Scripture, you realize that this is a real temptation because Jesus, fully God yet fully man, is going to succeed where Adam failed in temptation. Jesus is going to succeed where Adam failed. And in doing so on the cross, he will eventually buy back through his blood the earth, the kingdoms of the earth, a people out of the earth. He will regain authority and dominion over the earth. And both Christ and the devil know that if Jesus goes to the cross, he's going to have by right what Satan is offering by shortcut. That's what's going on. And the question is, will Jesus take the shortcut? Will Jesus take the shortcut? And that's what Satan is appealing to here to Jesus. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die. Just worship me and I'll give you it. No suffering. No suffering. But what was Jesus' answer in verse 8? Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God, and serve Him only. I think that's such a packed phrase. 
You can go a hundred different directions. On one way, he's telling Satan, hey, you've got a God. <laughs> you worship the Lord, you're a God. On the, on the second hand, he's, he's quoting Scripture and he's saying, listen, I'm going to worship God. Worship the devil, no suffering. Now. <laughs> worship your father. Satan is saying, you've got, you've got the cross ahead of you. And Jesus says, I choose the cross. I choose suffering. I choose to worship my Father. Praise God he did, amen? And the devil will always seek to shortchange us, to divert our worship away from the cross in our lives, to get us to engage in a life of false worship. You know, worship is... Because Jesus is saying, I'm only going to worship God. I'm only going to serve God. That's where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. Worship is only true when it involves the denial of self and obedience to the Father in faith. That's what true worship is about. The Bible has something to call, uh, something called the law of first mention. Uh, the, theolog theologically, we kind of look at those types of things and go, when something's mentioned first time in the Bible, a word, a phrase, an idea, the, the, the context in which it's mentioned and tells a lot and defines what that should be throughout the rest of Scripture. That's kind of how it goes. The, the first mention of the word worship, as I've shared with you before, in the Bible is Genesis chapter 22. And it's there in Genesis 22 that we get a real heart for what genuine worship is. It is where God tested Abraham to offer his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved on a mountain that he would show him. First mention of worship, surrounded by that idea. It says in Genesis 22, 4 through 6, it says, And on the third day, after God told him that, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with a donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and then we'll come back. Wait a second. He's saying that they're going to come back even though he's supposed to sacrifice his son. And we know from Hebrews that he's thinking in his head that God has to make good on his promise that through Isaac all the nations will be blessed through my son. He, he's going to have to raise him from the dead. I just need to be obedient. And Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And so you have the third day. You have the father, the son, as the sacrifice. You have the wood the cross upon the son's back. It's all there. It's all there. So worship is about what? It's about the Father's will that the Son would lay down His life to redeem, to buy back you and me. It's about the sacrifice of the Son. That's what the law of first mention. Denying, the Son denying His own will and going along willingly with what the Father desires. That's what true worship is about. And Satan sought to divert Jesus from the very cross, from the very worship he was to bear for, for you and me. And Jesus said, no, I choose worship. I choose the cross 
my Father has prepared for me. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord God and serve Him only. Because Jesus chose to worship the Father, we see that He did inherit the world and the kingdoms of the earth and the rule. We see this in Revelation 5, 1 through 10. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. This is the title deed of the earth many people believe. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one on heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And John, he says, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Verse 5 says, Then one of the elders said to me, Don't don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion has triumphed. Verse 6, And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the lamb that had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. This scroll, like I said, is most likely the title deed to the earth, so to speak, and Jesus alone was worthy because he worshipped God. He went to the cross. Satan was seeking to get him to get the counterfeit. And so the same temptation in nature is is used on us, is used for us. The devil seeks to redirect our worship away from God and towards him by circumventing the cross in our lives. The cross is what brings glory to God when we fully identify with Jesus Christ, when we lose ourselves in him and love and obedience to him. And he puts shiny little shortcuts in your life and my life to put our eyes on the pie instead of the prize. Amen? And so church, realize the devil is, he's actively placing temptations in your path and in my path that would cause us, well, that would cause you to circumvent the work of the cross in your life so that your worship and service is diverted away from God to some other thing, to some other passion to where that would be supreme instead of him or whatever it might be. Notice in verse 8, Jesus says, worship and serve in the same breath. Worship and service in the same breath. They're linked. 
They're linked. Because what you worship, you will serve. You know that? And what you serve is what you worship. Your heart is reflected in what you do and how you live, what your priorities are, you know? So you want to find out what people worship? Look at where their time and their energy is spent. Not just their time and their energy, their free time, their free energy, <laughs> where that's spent. You find out what they, what, where their hearts are, where my heart is. Amen? And I'm not saying you can't have fun. I'm not saying, that's not what I'm saying at all. But if the enemy is seeking to tempt us away from the, the cross of Christ in our life, there are things that the Lord is going to say, you need to not pursue that. You need to give that to me. I will reward you, and it might not even be on this earth. It might be when I come back. Are you willing to deny that? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me even though it hurts. This is why the rich young ruler went away weeping, because he was very rich. This is why I weep over the things that I like. Not that, see, let me tell you, I, I, God is so good. I, mean, I told you that the Lord, like, when I was younger, I wanted to serve. And I said, God, I'd really like to serve. And guess what? The, guy, the drummer on my worship team, he made surfboards, and, and he taught me how to surf, and it was an answer to prayer. So I'm not saying we can't have fun, amen? That's not what I'm saying. But there are times in my life when he'll say to me, boy, that's really taken over, isn't it? It's subverting my work in, in your life. You're spending all your time and energy doing that, Matt. Where am I? Where's the cross? Did I buy you to go do that? Does that sit well with your heart and your soul, or is that becoming a preoccupation? You know, and that's just one little example. That's, that's only even a thing I do. That's not even other things that go on. And I'm speaking because I just don't want to get into specifics because I want to allow the Holy Spirit to really just speak to you where you are. Um, but he puts those tiny shortcuts, those little ways of circumventing the cross in our lives to, to just make it to where, I mean, he does it with everything. You know, if we want to really truly kind of look at the heart of what worship and service is, I think it's best defined in Romans 12, verse 1. I mean, this is kind of like, we saw the pictures of the cross there, but Paul lays it out. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, how many of you have been saved by grace through faith and the work of Jesus Christ? How many of you believe that? He died for me, man. My sins are gone. That's an act of mercy, withholding what you deserve, what I deserve. Amen? And then, obviously, grace, giving us what we don't deserve. But he says, in view of God's mercy... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship or act of service, some of you are saying. So worship in God's acceptable, pleasing, true worship is to offer your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. How many of you offered your body as a dead sacrifice once and for all time? 
In one sense, we do. We give our hearts to the Lord, right? But how many know Paul says, man, I die daily. It could be used a different way, but Jesus, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, we'll get there. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. A living sacrifice. Constantly before the Lord and saying, not my will, but your will, Lord. This is not my show. This is not my kingdom. This is yours. Do you want me to date this person? Do you want me to be on that? Do you want me to watch this movie? Do you want me to go give money to this? Do you want me to reach out and and give my time and energy doing this or that? You see, that's just like, it's a sacrifice. You're always on the altar. It's not, it's, it's what do you want? That doesn't mean that we don't have plans and we have priorities and all this. I'm saying, I'm not talking about that. But above all those things, there's a heart that just says, I'm yours. Whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want it, I'll serve. I worship. No shortcuts. If that means I go through a season of denial, I mean, that's what, that's what ministry is. It's, it's really denying yourself and, and being used by the Lord in ways. And then you find joy and, and meaning and purpose in serving God with who you are and how that looks. But you want to know what acceptable worship is to God. It's modeled in the Son. He denied Himself for the Father's will. I love that. And Satan's offering shortcuts to us. His shortcuts look like great deals, but they're timeshares. If you have a timeshare, I understand my name. In other words, you don't, it looks nice at the beginning, but you realize there's a hook, right? The idea behind it. And so he has shortcuts for sex. He has shortcuts for work, for relationships, for money, for parenting, for serving God. He has shortcuts for the church. You want to get people? You want to have growth? I've got shortcuts for you. And it will not involve prayer and worship and the word and self-denial and all those things. It will involve spring and I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear and all that type of stuff, you know. He's got shortcuts. You think he's not working in the church over time? My gosh, he's working in the church over time. He's longing for us to take a shortcut. And so at every turn, we got to say, does this glorify you, Lord? Is this your will, Father? You know, even looking at the, the youth pastor situation, I don't care where they live or what they've done and all that stuff. That's all great. Are they called? Do they have a heart after God, whether they're young or whether they're old? We can try to say what was best, but in the end, is what's your will, Father? And does it match up with what you say? And if I don't know what He says, I don't know what His will is. Amen? And notice Jesus is responding to Satan with what? What God says. That's a whole other study, which we'll get into in a week or two. But he has shortcuts for us in every aspect 
of our lives. And Jesus said, if you want life, lose yours. If you want to lose your life, keep it. Jesus said, if you want life, lose your life. Give it to me. If you want it, keep it. You're going to lose it. Life by the Spirit is a life of the cross, brothers and sisters. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives with me. In the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, as Jesus walked, we walk. Because if his Spirit is in us, then we're going to look like Jesus, amen? So worship God, brothers and sisters. There's no substitute for the cross in your life. And that's where the life is. That's where the glory is. When we identify with Jesus and we, we live this life for the will of the Father. You know, that for some of you, that, that might mean you, you need to get out of that relationship that you know that you shouldn't be in. That means some of you might need to square up things in your taxes coming up and stop lying about it. That means some of you might need to stop playing video games or start, stop, you know, binge watching Netflix or whatever it is that God's do. I'm just throwing out things that, you know, we all kind of have fun with there. It sucked the life out of us. So I'm passionate about the church. I'm passionate about the thing that Jesus died to bring us to be a part of. Amen? Jesus, so if Jesus' priority is, is, is not just the church building, but the people of God and then the lost, what should our priority as Christians look like? Loving one another and grabbing as many people as we can. And instantly, in our minds, we go, I'm busy, I don't have time, I'm not equipped, I don't know what to say, and all these things. God will lead you. He'll teach you. He'll equip you as you step out in obedience. But until you hit the cross, we're just going to remain dead. So uh, when I when I um, interviewed here, I made it very clear to the, the to the church, um, I am not your worship leader. That's what I did for a long time. I am not going to be that person at official capacity. And so that's not part of my job description. Amen? Ramey, say amen. Larry, amen. Why do I do that? Because I've got cool gear. And basically, I like to blow your ears out. Now, there's a need. And I, and I love you guys. And, and I love the Lord. And... Let's go do it. Amen? Well, that means i got to practice on Thursday or whatever it is during the week. What happens if I don't practice? we got some fun for you, and, and it's really hard for you to focus. You know, it's probably hard for you to focus anyways. My guitar, loud, soft, all that stuff. You know, what I'm saying is, is, is it requires sacrifice, Correct? in priorities, in, in what is the Father's will in my life. And some of us are doing churchy things, and we need to not be doing those things because the Lord's saying, back away. Some of us are totally disengaged with the things of the kingdom, and we are so, we've put family above the Lord. I know that sounds bad. 
bring your family with the Lord. <laughs> Have your kids do, worship the Lord with you. Have them play drums with you. Teach them what it's like to go out and serve with you. Whatever you're excited about, guess what those little kids are going to be excited about? I want my kids at the end of their life to, to, to know that their parents love the Lord and worship the Lord and serve them when they're action, not just because he was pastor, but because that's their, that's their heart, that's their lives. And it's not just reflected in these, these, this room. You know? And so I just want to encourage you and challenge you that that means that things have to be sought out and changed before the Lord in, our, in my life. Things that I want to do that I decided not to do. Things that I could pursue that I haven't pursued. Things that didn't line up as I was seeking the Lord saying, God, well, if this happens, I'm going to have to give this up. And I really want to have this, so what happens? Well, Lord, I want to please your heart. Something God's been talking to me more about is giving. You know, just me personally. So there's the set amount, Matt. That's cool. But when does the set amount become a joy? When, when do I try to strive to eke out more that I can give to God and just go, you're so good to me. You're so good. You've taken care of me through all these years. Have more. Have more. Have more of me. You see, the heart of worship is just, it gives, and the Lord keeps providing for us. We're so worried about our time and our coffee and all these other things. I'm just talking from my own heart. I'm not trying to judge. I'm just saying the things that I struggle with as a pastor. I struggle with time and energy and sports and all those things. Yeah, you know, I'm there. The enemy is going to put a shortcut in front of your life. Know that he's after that, but also know that the cross, although it seems like it will burn and hurt, it will bring life. It'll bring life to you. As you identify with Jesus, he's going to give you life. I'm so thankful Jesus didn't do the shortcut. I'm so thankful that I waited for my wife, that my wife waited for me. I'm thankful that we haven't taken the shortcut of, of divorce when we, we could or easily have or abandoned each other, that we actually just didn't like each other for a season. Has anybody ever had that? Sometimes it goes on for more than a season. And you just learn to deny self and love the other person. I'm not talking about taking abuse and stuff like that, so don't get me wrong. Let's just pray for a second, <clears throat> because as we're going to enter into communion, I just want it to be a time when, when you are, we take it the first time of every month, but what, what I'd like you to do is, is to go up to the tables when we start playing and all that stuff, I'll, I'll start playing guitar, and you can grab the elements and bring them back to your table, but it reminds you of what Jesus gave up, of the denial, the cross, that his blood was shed for you, that you would have life that his body was broken, that you might be healed. And perhaps in this time, as you commune with the Lord and are just saying, thank you, thank you so much, maybe you can just say to him, Lord, have I taken a shortcut? There's something in my life 
I've gone this way. Is there any, is there any hope? Will you please come and, and make things right again? Heal me, refresh me, fill me, guide me, lead me. I want to go back to the cross even though it hurts, but I trust you. I trust that you'll have to resurrect the dead. Amen? Amen. And so let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we know that our enemy would seek to undermine all that you have in store for us. But Jesus, you have gone before us and you are our great high priest and you have been tempted in all ways yet without sin. You're victorious over all this. And so I'm asking now, Father, that you would empower your church, Lord, to walk in the footsteps of your Son. That like Jesus, we would say, we're going to worship the Lord and serve him only. No other gods, no other affinities, no other things, pursuits would, would trump the Most High. And all those other things can, can, it can just be sorted out by your Spirit. And so, Lord, commune with this now. In the name of Jesus, amen.